0: I'm Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns.
1: I'm Crystal Sunshine. I use she, her pronouns. And I'm Rebecca Hackmeyer, and I use she, her pronouns. And And
2: you're you're listening listening to Rad Rad Child
1: Child Podcast. Podcast.
0: All right. So this week we are talking about our favorite books about, uh, illness. It was actually really interesting to sort of look into books for this topic because I found that there were like more books about certain illnesses than other illnesses. And like, some of them were surprising to me, the ones that I was finding. So I'm curious to see what y'all found. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I will just, uh, go ahead and start because I'm very excited about my book. (laughs) um this is actually so this is actually a uh it was a kickstarted book it's called why does mommy hurt uh helping children cope with challenges of having a caregiver with chronic pain fibromyalgia or autoimmune disease
2: oh i saw that
0: yeah and that's by elizabeth m christie and illustrated by james g miller and so the author is someone who uh who lives with chronic pain um, I don't know if she specifically has fibromyalgia, but it just says that.
2: Uh, Hashtag she, Own Voices she
0: suffers from autoimmune disease. Um, so I guess yeah, exactly. It is an Own Voices book and was basically made by a mother who wanted a book about this for her child. Um, and the yeah, so I it's actually a short little little book. So I'm gonna read it for everyone. Lots of people we love have chronic pain. That means they hurt every single day. My name is Jimmy and my mother has chronic pain. She has a disease called fibromyalgia. That's my favorite part of the book is the spelling out of fibromyalgia. It's like with the dashes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like a kid spelling out
2: fibromyalgia.
0: My mom needs to rest a lot because she's usually sleepy. In the morning, it takes a long time for her to get ready. I can be patient and play with my toys until she feels better. When my mom doesn't feel well, I bring her a blanket and my teddy and give her a big hug. I try to be quiet so she can rest. So it's actually interesting because when I, I did a read a lot of this to two of my friends who have fibromyalgia, um, I sent it to them because I was excited about it. And with these pages, one of my friends who is also a nanny, um, said that they felt like it put a little bit of onus on the kid mm. to like, like, well, I'm not feeling well, so like, figure it out on your own. Um, so, I I can get a little bit of that. For me, it was more like I think that kids do have the ability to like be patient and understand and and you know entertain themselves. Um, but I can get where someone might get that impression from it.
2: Well, there's a little bit of reality to that too, right? Yeah, it's like like in the Color Thief, like the. My, my son calls mm-hmm. it the book about the sad dad. <laughs> it's like, kid, like kids are impacted by what their parents deal with.
0: Yeah, like, totally. Despite
2: anyone's like wishes for it to be otherwise. Yeah. Especially if you don't, if the parent doesn't have more support.
0: Yeah, for sure. Cause we don't, I mean, in this book, they do mention a dad, but I mean, could easily be a single parent. Um, Dad could be at work. Like we don't, we don't know uh, what's happening. Right. Um, And I I also really like the part where they, the kid brings brings the parent like their Teddy and their blankie because like that, it made me think about a time where um, my wife who has uh, chronic depression, anxiety, uh, we were visiting my niece and my wife, needed to take a nap and my niece like brought her a teddy bear and like sang mm. her a little song and like put her to bed, you know, and That's really yeah, sweet. I th- I just thought it was very sweet. And I think kids, you know, know the things that are comforting to them and, you know, want to help us by giving us those things that they find comforting.
1: Right. And it's nice that it's a little, uh- Well, I shouldn't presume, I guess, but it's nice that it appears to be a little boy who's taking on a caregiving Mm -hmm. role.
0: From the picture, it also, uh, and I I don't know if it says in here, but it looks like she does have a son. Um, So I I think that this was sort of meant to represent her. her Uh, Right. Right. Um, Sometimes my mom forgets her keys or loses her phone. She says I'm her memory helper and we play a game to try and find them. It's like hide and seek. My mother doesn't look sick. When people have chronic pain or fibromyalgia, they often look healthy. Sometimes it's hard to remember that. Sometimes I get sick too with colds, stomach aches, and lots of bumps and bruises. When I don't feel well, I want to stay in bed and sleep. So when my mom says she doesn't feel well, I try to remember what it's like to be sick. I really like that. Um, Trying to like, well, also like I like that they were saying, right, that people with chronic pain uh, or fibromyalgia often look healthy. And so it's hard to remember sometimes that they're sick. So like I try to relate to my own experience right of being sick Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um sometimes i feel sad i want my mom to play with me or take me out and have fun i try to be patient but it can be hard sometimes i wish she didn't hurt we try to have fun at home when mom doesn't feel well sometimes when my mom is really sick i feel angry i yell or cry and say it's not fair she understands and says she sometimes feels angry too. When I get upset, she gives me a big hug and tells me she loves me and promises we will have fun together when she feels better. Um, I really like the validation of feelings and also that like the parent is like, yeah, I don't like it either. It sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, that, and so I, I really appreciate the validation of the, of the kids' feelings and the, the parents sort of saying like, yeah, I've, you know, and, and talking about their feelings as well and not saying like, oh, it's going to be fine. You know, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, I'm not about it too. Um, Dad and I have fun together when mom is sick. We sometimes go to grandma's house or play in the park while mom rests. Sometimes my mom feels sad too. It doesn't mean she doesn't love me. Usually her pain is just bothering her or she's very tired. I've learned that kisses, smiles, and hugs make her feel much better. I've also learned how I can help my mommy. She needs help picking up toys, clothes, and books. She needs help shopping at the store. Sometimes she lets me push the cart. Wee! I feel important and special when I help her. Mm-hmm. Wee! I love my mommy so much, and she loves me. We help each other. Life can be hard sometimes if someone you love has chronic pain or fibromyalgia. But when you love, help, and listen to each other, it can get easier and even be a lot of fun. Um, and then in the oh. back, there's two full pages of awesome resources um, and and tips um and i you know i really uh i don't know i really like this book in general the only thing that i like room to grow i have to say about it is for me uh, i'm not like super wild about the illustrations but i a lot of people it's just like not my personal aesthetic mm-hmm. but a lot of people were saying they like them because they're sort of like childlike and mm-hmm. they're bright colors um they're a little more like rudimentary of of drawings and uh and so some people were, were saying that they they liked them because they felt like children could relate to, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of more, that style. Right. Um, but for me, I'm more of, I mean, I'm an artist, so I love, like, beautiful watercolors and beautiful, you know. Yeah. That's sort of more my aesthetic. But that's really the only bad thing I have to say about it, other than the comment that my friend had about maybe putting some onus on the child about having to... Mm -hmm. do a lot of work for their parents Mm -hmm. Um, but I sort of more saw it as like there are ways that I can help Uh, and kids love to be helpers Mm -hmm. Um, depending on the age but like even um, the Twins that I nanny uh, they love helping me with the laundry they're obsessed they love putting it in the washing machine they love pressing the buttons Um, they love unloading the dishwasher and that at some age uh, you know goes away but (laughs) (laughs) when you want them to help then they're like I don't want to (laughs) um But, uh, but I think that kids really like being helpers and having those kinds of responsibilities. Right. And I think it's sort of a fun, a fun way to incorporate like, oh, like, you know, because of the memory loss and things like that are associated with fibromyalgia. And so like then making it a game of like, it's like hide and seek, let's find the keys. Um, right. You know, uh, mm-hmm. And I, like I said before, I really like the validation of feelings and, um that the parents can have feelings yeah uh, which we don't see a lot you know we talked about at least like in my generation i felt like parents it was like you have to hide everything to protect your kids you know we, we don't want to show them that we have feelings we don't want to show them want to be strong um mm. and strong means not talking about our feelings or not crying in front of our or all of these kinds of things was sort of how i was raised um and so it's nice to see representation of of parents being able to be sad or mad or whatever Such in
2: front of their kids. a balance. Of yeah. Like, like, I have a mom who is very histrionic mm-hmm. all of the time. So, like, <laughs> it's hard to figure out, like, uh, at what point are you modeling processing of emotion to your kids and at what point are you kind of asking your kids to take on your processing because I think that that can get tricky
0: but at the same time I think it's there's something really special about being vulnerable with the kids in our lives
1: absolutely Um, totally.
0: but I also had there was one other book that I ordered it but I just found it there's a book that looks really great called uh, how many marbles do you have? Helping children understand the limitations of those with chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia, and it's basically about spoons.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, and s- we've mentioned spoon theory on uh, on the podcast before, but just in case you have didn't listen to that episode or for, need a little refresher, basically it's the idea that uh, everybody has. Uh, it's a disability theory that sort of everybody has a certain amount of spoons a day. So maybe I wake up. And they're not always the same, but maybe today I woke up and I have 10 spoons and different activities might take different amount of spoons. So maybe this recording, this podcast takes one spoon for me. It's sort of like that much energy that it takes me. Maybe cleaning my house takes three spoons. Uh, maybe taking a shower takes a spoon. And, you know, diff- it's this idea that, um, just sort of to quantify the amount of sort of energy we have to do things, especially for folks with disabilities. Whereas like my wife might wake up today and this might be like a day where she has two spoons. Um, and like, you know, maybe getting out of bed takes a spoon and Mm -hmm. like taking a shower takes another one. And then that's it for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so, and we were also talking about the idea that like they don't necessarily regenerate the next day, you know, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you can have no spoons or, uh, but it's just a way to quantify it. But anyway, so this book, I ordered it. I really, it looks good. It has a lot of good reviews. Um, but it's, they're, they're using marbles instead of spoons. Um, but it's about, uh, it seems to be about that theory of, of how many, you know, how many marbles do you have, um. And so I'm excited. I was excited to see that represented in a book because it's something that I think is easy for kids to understand because it's got uh, like, I, I like spoon theory because it's tangible, right? Mm-hmm. You can literally put spoons down and be like, okay, I've got one and I take it away, you know? Right. Um, and I think for kids, it's like a visual thing for them to understand that idea instead of just saying, oh, I don't have energy today, you know?
1: Did the, um, does the book reference Christine Miserandino? Who is the?
0: I don't like. I said I don't have uh, the book in my hands yet.
1: Okay, yeah, because we should. And you guys probably mentioned it in the podcast, but Spoon Theory um, was was the origin of Spoon Theory is an essay called "The Spoon Theory" by Christine Mazurandino, which was published in two thousand three. Um, Thank you. So that's our the,
0: our, uh, our smarty smart my
1: resident your resident Goog your resident yes. Googler
0: yes. <laughs> But anyway, hopefully they did their research and I'll I'll let you know when I get this book and I hope that it's as good as it as it looks.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is a really neat I mean it's a, it's a it's a nice way to present it to, to children for sure
0: and grown cuz grown many many grown-ups yeah. don't get it either. Yeah. So. Well that, you know, it's really funny. A lot of a lot of people said that in the in the comments, they're like, "This has also been really helpful for girls right. in my life."
1: <laughs> I gave it to my boss. I gave it to my neighbor. I gave it to my 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 spouse. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: It was. They were saying like, "I read it loudly while other adults were around <laughs> to the children." <laughs> oh my gosh! Um. And anyway, which one of you would like to share your book?
2: Um. I'll go unless Yay. you to Rebecca. No, go for it. Um, I have to admit that since the libraries are closed, I didn't see my book in person mm-hmm. either. But yeah,
0: I-, I know it's been it's been really hard to get access to to books lately,
2: right? Um, For sure. I found a couple of YouTube read alouds, which I was grateful mm-hmm. to find, so I got to see the inside. Um, I, my book is called "When a Kid Like Me Fights Cancer." And it's by Catherine Steyer, and illustrated by Angel Chang, and published by Albert Whitman and Company, um, and it's own voices, the author is a cancer survivor, and the illustrator is um, Taiwanese. Um and went to the Academy of Art University oh, where I cool. teach. So that was fun. Oh. Um, so I really like this book, one, because it's own voices and there are the main character has brown skin. So there's mm. an element of diversity, which is sometimes hard to find in mm-hmm. these titles that are You know, it's like, you can find a diverse book, but can you find a diverse book about a specific subject? (laughs)
0: Intersectionality doesn't exist, Crystal. What are you talking about? (laughs) You can't be two things at once.
2: (laughs) The main character is a little boy who has cancer, and it kind of just leads you through... um, Hold on, I'm going to take a... It leads you through this little boy's experience um, of getting his diagnosis and what the plan with the doctors are going to be and how kind of fast it's going. And it just is really a sweet, slow story told from the boy's perspective about that leads you through a lot of emotions. And like, I, I learned it was nobody's fault and mm. I, I, I didn't catch it from anyone and nobody can catch it from me. And I, Mm. reading this, I really, um, it reminded me of being in elementary school and there was a girl I went to school with in second grade who had cancer. Um, but I remember the adults around me not being able to explain what was going on for her. They were able to say she has leukemia. That's a type of bone cancer. And there were all these questions that this book really addresses, um, that I think would be great for both a kid with cancer and the people around them, or just to kind of understand what is this disease about. Um, I also appreciate it doesn't end with like, and then everything was fine. Um, yeah, but it's it also starts out with a boy who has hair and he loses his hair throughout the book. Um, and he learns about scientists and workers studying all over the world, researching how to um, how to fight cancer, and um, and then the, there's this like picnic where people are raising money to um, for cancer research, and they mm. like, have a little picture of the little boy on a button that they wear. And so the kid kind of learns to see themselves as like a fighter and like mm-hmm. as somebody who people are kind of like holding up. So there's this big like community support and um, that I really like, and the idea of uh, just the kid kind of understanding their role in this as somebody who's fighting it. And like, I think some other books about illness that I've found, there's more of it like a, where the ill person is positioned to receive pity. Mm. And I feel like this book does a good job of, um, not sensationalizing the illness or the experience of the illness, but also like showing that kind of energy around like, nope, like we're fighting this and there's people in it with me and I have support and I'm not alone. Like, and it's not my fault. And this totally sucks. And here's kind of like all the logistical things that go along with that, including like doctor's visits and I can't always hang out with my friends. And sometimes I'm more tired and, just felt really like reality based in a way that yeah. would really beautifully contextualize that for. Chinese. I feel like,
0: like you were saying, I feel like there's almost two kinds of books like, like that I see often around illness. And one is the pity lens. And the other one is that everything's going to be better. It's going to be totally fine, which isn't always true. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what, there was actually another book that I purchased and that was annoyed that I purchased. called mm-hmm. Mommy has to stay in bed. And the book was, it was fine uh but then at the end it was like can't wait till mommy gets better and i was like Bleh.
2: yeah <laughs> this book ends with i'm not fighting alone like Aww. i'm a kid who's fighting cancer but you know bowie i say i have learned this so he's like talking to his um stuff animal or... so somebody gives yeah. him Aww. a bear in the hospital that was made by um somebody who like another kid who like donate made a bear and donated it from the high school and at first he's like i think i'm too old for bears and it has like a jumbo like and then he's like put he <laughs> it to it bowie and then ends up kind of relaying part of his story to the bear
0: oh i mean this book sounds great and you said it's a person of color the character
2: the character is a person of color and the. The parents look like a biracial couple.
0: Oh, that's awesome! Like you were saying, it's so it's so hard to find books that are you know diverse Mm -hmm. in more than one way. Like that's that's another I suppose another room to grow um, for for why does mommy hurt? Is that it is a a white you know white Mm -hmm. blonde family?
2: The doctor, Um, the whole characters in this book that even the doctors are really diverse genders and skin colors, which I appreciate because there's so many kids book where like all the doctors are men. It's like, really? Like, yeah. what decade? Is white <laughs> men. And, and white
0: men. Like, yep. Oh, yeah.
1: Right. This is um, a beautiful book The I love the illustrations.
2: It is. It really? Yeah. Is it sounds great. great. I love to let combo of the, off, like the, the creators have a diversity and our own voices of various kinds. So the illustrator is an own voices illustrator and is, mm. um, you know, documenting representing representing um, diverse people and families. Mm. And the author, having been a cancer survivor, I think together that makes um, a really powerful team. Right. I
0: really like that. Um, that it's about a child with cancer. Um, I found a lot of books about when someone in your life has cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think that, I mean, right. Of course, no one wants to think about children getting sick. Right. Especially with illnesses like cancer. Um, and, uh, but I think that it's, you know, it's important to acknowledge that kids do, do get sick and do have, um, you know, uh, different kinds of, I forgot. Gosh, I, I learned the word. I, so I learned in my podcast that when it's a child, you don't call it a, a terminal illness. It's called a life altering or life threatening illness, I believe is the correct term. Mm. Um, yeah. Psych, psychologist told me that who works with those populations. Um, but uh, I thought that it was, but yeah, I think, I think that like I, there aren't as many books about kids with those illnesses. And I don't know if that's because, we don't want to think about that happening or what, you know, mm-hmm. what that is. But I found a lot more books about people in your life with, which is also we need both. Right. Um, but I I'm happy to see one like that.
2: I like too about this book that when the child tells some of their friends about having cancer, his best friend, Jeffrey, doesn't say anything. Mm. and then he's like I learned that when you talk about cancer people always don't know what to say um, and then Jeffrey puts his hand on his shoulder I learned that people don't always have to speak to show they care about you mm. which I think is so powerful like to see like there's different ways that people express care and concern and that's okay and there's different people have different desires around how they want to to be or feel supported. Mm-hmm. Just, I don't know, that acknowledgement of, yeah. Um, I like, love oh, that. I expected my best friend to say something, and they didn't, but then being a, coming to terms with the fact that people really don't know, adults don't know what to say, you know, and they express well, yeah. their discomfort and care in so many different ways. Right. One last thing I appreciate about this book is that the little boy... I think he's clear he's a boy. Now I'm questioning myself. Um, <laughs> but the main character um, is encouraged to cry at some point. Mm. There's a where the family is like just hanging out and like they still laugh and they still hang out and sometimes they cry. And then the next page is like, and sometimes we just cry and that's okay. Yeah. Um, and I really appreciate that scene. Like the dad and the mom and the child having a that moment that's emotional and not being mm-hmm. um, just noted as being acceptable.
1: That's really cool. And I important. think my
2: room to grow for this book might be, I might backtrack a little bit and say it's the, um, the scene where they start, where they introduce the picnic for raising money for cancer research. Mm-hmm. And the mother tells the child that they're an inspiration and that mm. a lot of people think the child is brave and are calling the child a hero is a little yeah. bit hard for. It's
0: a little bit inspiration porny. Mm. It's,
2: yeah. It's like a little bit hard for a kid to take that on too. Um, I know that like people and adults specifically want to name that kind of like feel inspired or moved to hold on to that kind of situation in a way that makes them feel like they can get behind supporting it. But I think it's kind of a lot to use the face of a child um, and to put all of that on them. You are brave. You are an inspiration when like the child is actually just kind of struggling mm-hmm. with um you know, and maybe it's important that they feel all those things too. I haven't ever experienced cancer or had anyone close to me, so I I don't feel like I necessarily have the right or the um, place to say what that would feel like, but it strikes me as being potentially problematic.
0: Mm, I kind of yeah. Put
2: all that on a kid.
0: And I also just know that there's um, a, a lot of times, you know, folks with illnesses or disabilities are you know it's like oh your story is so inspirational oh you're so brave even as a trans person I get this and um and it's just a little bit like okay I'm just like going to the grocery store I'm not brave like I'm just living a life and I think that's often sort of like Rebecca was saying it's often maybe just like a platitude or a nice thing that we want to say um to you know to have something to say uh, and I think it's well-intended often, but can, like you were saying, can be a burden too and can just come off, can come off the wrong way. Um,
2: I mean, I could see how maybe that was included in the book as a way to help contextualize that kind of situation, which happens. Um, but it feels a little confusing. Right. And makes me pick apart, like, what is, this word in so many kids' stories, the word "brave," um, shows up in so many different contexts that I don't necessarily always agree with. And it's like, what are, what are we teaching our kids about? What what does brave mean?
1: All right, shall I? <laughs>
2: okay um so
1: what i'd like you guys to do is slip on your overalls and then let one strap dangle loose mm-hmm. and get your neon scrunchies mm-hmm. and put them on your wrist and put mm-hmm. three in your hair um, because mm-hmm. we are going back but my bank, really <laughs> we're going back to the late 80s slash early 90s for my two books
0: Mm-hmm. Yes,
1: please do. Please do. And it's going to be fresh. Um, So the first. (laughs) (laughs) Dibbly fresh, actually. Dibbly, dibbly fresh. Um, The first book I want to talk about is uh, is also um, published by Albert Whitman and Company, which um, Crystal, many years later, will go ahead and publish the book you featured. Um, And it is called Kathy's Hats A Story of Hope. And it was written by um, Trudy Krischer and illustrated by Nadine Bernhardt Westcott and it was published in 1992 and the the illustrations actually are very akin to um, Nancy Carlson who published one of our one of our shift book box books um, or who, who authored one of our shift book box books um, um, Armand goes to a party uh, and so the illustrations are very very 90s and um, it is about, it's a story of a, it's, it's, it's a nice, um, the story is a nice blend of informative and narrative because it's the story of a child who's recounting her experience with cancer. And it was inspired by, um, Trudy Krischer who was the mother of a child who experienced cancer. Um, so it's, it's an own voices book in that way, right? Where it's, not exactly own voices, <laughs> it's own voices and that it's not, but it's a close, <laughs> close experience going through this and thinking about how to talk about it through a child's eyes yes. and the child's perspective. And um, uh, so it's kind of informative about the kind of the process of, of what happens when, when you get diagnosed with cancer. Uh, and, but it also is the narrative story of this, this little girl who happens to love hats and so she's always loved hats. Hats have always been a very, mm. like, mem- um, you know, commemorated different events in her life, her Easter bonnet, um, the first little hat she wore as a baby, um, and then talks about, like, how kind of sick she is of hats because um, her hair, she's lost her hair, and now hats are kind of the only accessory mm. she has. And the other... Um, You know, her friends have bangs and barrettes and ponytails and curls and all she has is hats now and it's just feeling really frustrating. And so then they, her mother encouraged her to to put on her thinking cap. So like hats are a a big metaphor here, Uh, her thinking cap and to think about kind of how to solve that problem for herself. Um, And at the, uh, and it ends with kind of her classmates rallying together and like, Kind of creating this commemorative hat for her. Um, and so there's there's kind of a there's kind of a problem and a solution and community, um, all while kind of telling the story of a child who who has cancer. Um, and so it's it's sweet. It's um it definitely is written by a white woman and illustrated by a white woman. Um, and some of the some of the metaphor, some of the hats feel a little bit forced like when I was born, my mom tied a tiny green ribbon to my little puff of fuzz. This was my first hat. And I'm like, is a bow a hat? Like, like maybe that's a little force. Like maybe you're, you're, it's a little bit of a reach here. <laughs> uh, but so, so uh, sometimes it, sometimes the metaphor, there's a little bit of a stretch, but overall, I think it's a really nice, um, nice, it's a story that is, I wouldn't say that it's incidentally about having cancer. It's definitely like very much about having cancer, but there also is that narrative arc that makes it a Mm. story that would be kind of readable. It's not necessarily a problem story. It's a, it's a story that 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 can be readable to an audience who um, is not familiar at all. It's not, you don't need to be setting out to teach your audience kind of what is cancer.
0: Um, It does Mm -hmm. a little bit
1: more than that uh, in, in in a sweet way. That's nice.
0: Um, I just wanted to say that I think that's something that we, uh, we were talking about recently on one of the episodes about how it's really nice to read kids' stories that feature um, experiences that are different than their own. So just because your kid doesn't have cancer or doesn't know someone with cancer doesn't something I you can't read a book about. Uh, a child with cancer. And this sounds like a good, you know, a good book. That's not so much like, this is what cancer is. This is, you know, where it has a, a character who has cancer, but it's a story that's a little bit more than
2: just that.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So having that narrative, having that narrative arc mm-hmm. kind of gives it, gives it a resonance and an engagement kind of beyond teaching a lesson. Um. So, yeah, I think uh, I, the, I mean, it's it's definitely a product of the '90s, and I think, it, like I said, it's written by. <laughs> there's not. There's some. There's some incidental mm. representation throughout. Like her class um, has some diversity, um, but overall, it's it's about a little blue-eyed white girl and her blonde mother, blonde-haired, blue-eyed mother, um, <laughs> and it's very colorful, and uh, the hats are very blossom-esque. So um, it's. Let me tell you a little bit about my second book. Um, oh yeah, you have another book? Yes, I do. Second book—it's it. a shout out to the Babysitters Club and yes. Stacy McGill, who is one of the original four members of the Babysitters Club. And mm-hmm. Stacy—I read all those books. All right. Well, Stacy has diabetes. And as oh. a child it was like very impactful to read about someone who had a who had a, had a chronic a chronic illness such as diabetes.
0: I totally don't remember. Yeah, they probably just said pick up on it as a Well, thing. it's
1: a big well, then you need to do some rereading cuz it's a big part of her character and so we first learn about that mm. in Babysitter's Club number 3, The Truth About Stacy. Um, and the truth about Stacy was published in nineteen nine or 18, 1987, 18 and, Nin, 1987. <laughs> and I'm not that old, Beth. And um, so and then again another another. It's always incidental representation about Stacy's diabetes and the the steps that she takes to um to kind of always be thinking about it, the kind of snacks they have on hand at the Babysitter's Club meetings because Stacy has diabetes and needs to monitor her sugar really carefully. But um, it takes center stage in Stacey's Emergency, Babysitter's Club number 43, which was published mm. in 1991. And so um, uh, the Babysitter's Club was written by Anne M. Martin, and a lot of them have been re-released as graphic novels, um, illustrated by Raina Telgmeyer who is also has done uh, graphic novels like smile and drama that are really well, well well-received. Um, and, uh, these books essentially normalized chronic illness for readers, um, particularly because it's one of the coolest characters, like one of the most fashion forward. She's from New York city, um, who experiences diabetes. And it's not own voices Anne and Ma- uh, Martin does not have diabetes, but she did kind of send out to in- she set out to intentionally include um, the-, the diabetes experience in the book. And it's been um, embraced by folks who have diabetes. And so I- I've read a couple of reviews. Um, there's a health, a Healthline article, um, that was written by uh this is called stacy mcgill a girl's first friend with diabetes um which was written which it does an interview with um ann m martin and was written by gosh where's the where's the author of this article um written by Allie. um so there it's it's something that the, her that the character has been embraced by the by by that community essentially and um and i i wrote to myself yeah, as my room to grow in general the series takes a well-meaning white woman perspective on representation but i was always a fan <laughs> like i think that uh Baby <laughs> <that, that laughs> club is a uh is a a neat series, um, and there's there is um, in the original four, there is a member who's Japanese American, and then uh, later on there is a, a black character who's very important. And so, like it, you know, she 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 really did set out to include a lot of representation in the t- the children who were being babysat, as well as the babysitters themselves, um, which I think was pretty is pretty quite commendable for the late '80s, early '90s when these books were first coming out. Um, and yeah, and Stacy's diabetes was something that was always um, a part of who she was, and a part of something that the other the other members of the Babysitters mm. Club recognized about her and took into account about her. But it also was was never a limitation. Um, so that was a nice way to include that in incidental representation there
0: about a chronic illness. I love that. Yeah, yeah. So um, I love that. I love I love me some incidental. Representation.
1: Yeah. So I, I, I recommend both uh, Kathy's hats and that
0: everyone revisit uh, OG
1: babysitter's club for some good reads.
0: I also wanted to just give a little shout out. Uh, we were talking a little bit about this earlier uh, off the record, but to, there's a book that I discovered this morning called Ramadan around the world. Um, and that I am probably going to butcher uh, this name, but that is by Nada Hassan. Um, and, uh, that I, so I totally discovered this, uh, randomly on Instagram this morning, the author was doing a read aloud. And while it's primarily about as you can imagine, Ramadan around the world. Um, <laughs> there's a really great incidental inclusion of different characters. There's a character who has autism. There's a character with diabetes, and there's a character with uh, hearing impairment who has a hearing aid. And so that's just another really good example of a book that isn't, you know, doesn't have to be about those things, but can include characters um, with those, you know, different abilities and different conditions and things like that. So I thought that was a really Really smart way to do that. And I would love to see more books like that. <laughs> it's like we were saying, you can be more than one thing. <laughs> you can celebrate Ramadan and have, you know, a hearing impairment. <laughs> it happens. And to be a person of color all at the same time. Three things. Guys. Wild. Oh
2: <laughs> it's wild to me that like people have questions about that. I think we mentioned, In a a recent episode, um, Grace Lynn on Twitter, who is one of our favorite authors, or one of my Mm -hmm. favorite authors for kids' books, um, was saying that she um, got some feedback back about a manuscript, and uh, it was the sort of thing where it sounded like she sent a manuscript out and got... um, feedback from various people about mm-hmm. it and one of the people's feedback was you know i don't understand why like this character is already facing adversity why do they have to also be
0: <laughs> because that's a real thing <laughs> that happens and
2: it, it was like oh my god yeah. <laughs> like they're like why is this even like somebody in an editorial position, like position to give feedback about books that are inclusive, like is coming back with that kind of feedback is just, yeah you
0: know, sad. Yeah. It's, I, you know, and I think that's because there are, um, you know, there are a lot of biases that we all have, even, you know, those of us who try not to have them actively. And so there's this idea that the deep, is white or the default is straight or the default is you know all of these other you know able-bodied or all of these other kinds of things and so we have to have one you know we have to have those defaults and you can be a person with a hearing impairment who's white but being a person with a hearing impairment and color well you only oh you know that's there has to be some default going on right? There's a really interesting show on Netflix called a hundred humans. I don't know if either of you have mm-hmm. watched it. Um, but mm-hmm. basically they took a hundred people from around the United States, uh, of all, you know, the, for a variety of different genders, races, um, you know, all of those, all that good stuff. Uh, and they basically do It's three scientists and they do all kinds of experiments. And one of the ex- episodes was on biases and what one of the uh, things that they did, one of the experiments that they did was they had three uh, men and three women and lined up, and they said, "Okay, you are going to each of these people is going to tell them a little bit about them, uh, you a little bit about themselves." So they might say, "Like, hi, I'm Rick. I, you know, I like uh, skiing, and you know, I have a cat, whatever." And you can ask them each one question, and you have to pair them up in couples. Everybody, even the queer people paired men with women and it was in fact a gay couple a lesbian couple and a straight couple there was only one person who paired them up not only did she pair them up uh but she paired them up correctly not only did she put like a man with a man a woman with a woman, but she they were actual couples in real life oh wow um and so it was interesting that even the queer person was like i'm queer and i still did this right you know, because and and that's a number of reasons, right? Like the, let's say the lesbians, for example, were both feminine presenting, or the two women who were together. Excuse me, I don't know how they identify, okay. but they they were both feminine presenting, um, and uh, you know, more on the fem spectrum. And you know, the maybe I, I would have to go back and watch it, but maybe like the activities that they listed weren't, you know, something you would. Put with someone who like it wasn't like the gay guy. I was like, I like theater, and you know, whatever. You know, <laughs> yeah, they mean? weren't they
1: weren't fitting um, into the stereo. it shows
0: those the stereotype of those ideas. And so I think it's interesting that even when we're trying to get away from like actively get away from those things, you know, we still all have these kinds of biases. Um, and I think it it, it plays yeah. into that when it comes to uh, you know, unfortunately, when publishers are, you know, looking at works, they're like, oh, people aren't going to be able to relate to this.
2: I'm just remembering in talking about biases, unconscious biases, the first time a, I watched a presentation about current research regarding sexist biases that people have about children's um, children's picture books and characters in them. And some of the statistics Maybe I can find it. Yeah, I would love to see that if you can but, find it. Um, uh, this is a presentation by Julie Schulman, who's a, um, a woman in our community and a professor, and um, gave a presentation about this. And one thing that she pointed out was, that was completely shocking to me and other uh, queer parents who were at this presentation were like, oh my God, um, anytime there's like an ant or a bug or a character in a book that ha- seems like gender ambivalent mm-hmm. or a teddy bear or anytime there's a... Oh, we call it he. ...have the opportunity to gender somebody they or something, mm-hmm. and we gender it he. as he. Yep. Like almost 95%. And I, start, I really pay attention to that. Still, this was like years ago. And I'm like, I completely do that if I if there's like a little worm we pick up in the garden, I'm like, oh look at what he's doing. Um and it's just this like like wow, like there are are all these defaults that are not even are not in alignment with my value system or ideas about the world, but it's like always at play. And until somebody really points it out. Right, because it's a default
0: Something that caught me off guard, and now that I've actually adopted, is I went to a sing along with presumably from what I know about this person who ran the sing along, they were, you know, a straight white cis man. But with seeing old McDonald had a farm, EIEIO, and on that farm she had uh, whatever. And I was like, Whoa! Old McDonald can be a girl. Like that never occurred to me. As, as an adult in my mid or mid to late twenties, I was like, "Whoa!" It was mind blowing right? to me that Old McDonald could be a girl, and and I and I sing it that way now. And um, but I think about that a lot. Like you were saying, Crystal, when I'll just be like, "Oh, look at that pigeon. He's eating food." I'm like, "Why?" I don't know that pigeon's gender. And so now I'll always mm-hmm. default to they. I try to remind right. myself to default to they, mm-hmm. um, when I'm talking about animals or things like that. Or for, for example, there's, I don't know if you know this on grandpa's farm mm. goes, we're on our way, yeah. we're on our way, on our way to grandpa's farm, uh, down on grandpa's farm. Uh, he has a, let's say, we'll say a big, uh, pink pig. And then, you know, we talk about the pig and we say the pig, she makes a sound like this. And I'm like, I could just say, the pig makes a sound like this. I don't need to gender right. that. Pig. And like my yeah. friend who, I, I talked to my friend about this because actually I learned this song from a, a queer friend of mine who did sing-alongs and we used to go to sing-alongs. And I was like, why are you gendering? Yes. And they were like, whoa, <laughs> you're right.
2: I don't need to do that. Ah.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, While we're talking about like kind of disrupting the default, um, hashtag disrupt the default, Um, Mm -hmm. I wanted and actually I should say hashtag disrupting or disrupt texts, because I think that that is um, that is a movement that's happening on Twitter that is kind of about Mm -hmm. this idea of of kind of reframing not like everything we're talking about and also disrupting kind of what our canonical texts are as 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 people um, like kind of what we default say that children should read, like the kind of recommendations we give. Um, there is a book coming out Mm -hmm. that's just come out. Uh, it was published at the beginning of March and it is sitting on the shelf at my public library. I went to get it the day the library is closed. So it's sitting there waiting for me and it's called, um, it's called Prairie Lotus, Prairie Lotus, and it is by Linda Sue Park, who is Korean American and I had the privilege of 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 hearing her speak recently. and maybe I mentioned her at our last at one of our last um, episodes. I, I can't recall, but she's worth mentioning again, regardless. So Linda Sue Park, she does really excellent work and Prairie Lotus is essentially um, uh, the book that you want to turn to when you're thinking about um, like uh, little house in the big woods and this idea of like west westward expansion because it's the story of a half Asian Mm -hmm. child kind of living that experience on the
0: prairie.
2: Mm.
1: Um, and so I haven't had the the privilege to read it yet, but she does really beautiful work and I'm really excited to read it because I I'm really trying in my world when when folks are asking me for recommendations to be sure that I'm including like more representation. And so what she did in in her talk was say to the audience, "Okay, close your and this was a, a huge audience of students and then she also did it with an audience of of grown-ups and she said, mm-hmm. "Close your eyes and picture a cowboy." And like, had the audience do that? And then she said, did any of you picture this? And then she showed a picture on the PowerPoint of, um, of black men as cow, you know, cowboys that included black men. And and then a a flash of cowboys that included like um, uh, Latinx people. Mm -hmm. And then she kind of said, and and what do you picture when you picture kind of the, the prayer, the family, like moving westward, like, uh, like on the prairie, uh, settling, like little house yeah, on the prairie picture like, who'd you picture, <laughs> what, who do you, yep. picture when you think of settlers and then she had folks close their eyes and then she flashed like the like chinese american families right like the folks who built the railroad mm-hmm. um and it was really powerful for i think especially the this ch- the child audience but i think also the adult audience was like oh shit you know like questioning their own kind of default yep. images and so she's written um Prairie Lotus to tell kind of another story of that, of that era, which I'm really, really excited to read. Um, and I know that I that believe that Grace Lynn also did a series. It wasn't inspired by little house in the Prairie, but she kind of did her version of um, Betsy Tacey, which is an old uh, series mm-hmm. kind of of the Ramona Quimby style. And so Grace Lin. so there are all of these great authors from various like kind of divergent backgrounds who are kind of writing the stories that have not yet been told um, to really flesh out these periods in history um, for modern readers. And I'm, I'm so excited that they're doing that.
2: I love that knowing that too, Rebecca, because there's so much conversation often in groups that I'm in about, um, you know, Little House on the Prairie, for instance, like might be problematic in some nature but let's use it as an opportunity to talk about the problematic parts of history and i just don't totally buy that story mm. all the time and think that no actually like let's include the people in history and their voices who deserve to be there and who are part of history instead mm. of like still whitewashing like and straightwashing, like our idea about even what that means, like, how, how are we supposed to take, like, a voice, like, the hegemonic voice, like, and then, like, unpack that, like, in a way that's going to um, reframe the way that our kids are learning about all these things, like, without actually right. including those other voices.
0: Well, and I think that there are times where it's relevant to say, hey, we're still going to learn about this, but let's talk about why it was problematic. Um, but I think when we're talking about, you know, the media that we're using, we can talk about you know there there's other stories and other things that we can that we can talk about you know what i mean there are like factual things that happened and we can say hey this was a problematic thing that happened you know what i mean um but i think that's very different than saying well i know this story about this white family so we're just going to use it and talk about why it's problematic instead of finding because if you dig you can find you know you have to do the work but there are stories about other people exactly (laughs) For sure, mm-hmm. um, and but and I think we are talking. We always talk about like critically analyzing our works too. And if you know, I think it's right. We I think just like we were talking. We talk about all the time. Like if I'm reading, why does mommy hurt? I could say, you know, I think it's interesting that um do you, like does this family look like our family right like i think it's interesting that this do you notice anything you know about how this family what are different ways that families can look you know why do you think that we often see white families represented like that's kind of interesting even though we know you know your friend it, you know it doesn't look like that or this doesn't you know what i mean and i think critically talking about that stuff is important with kids and breaking down media with them for sure absolutely
1: but also, right, just not giving so much space and power to these these books in the first place that that are doing a not-so-great yes. job at it.
0: Yeah. Um, I did want to... This is just a super quick mention before we leave, but there, I also haven't had my hands on this one, but there's a book um, called When Someone You Love Has Cancer, A Guide to Help Kids Cope, and that's more for... I mean, obviously by the title of someone in a kid's life has cancer, um, but it got super great, super great reviews. It's a little bit more of a didactic informational type book. Um, and it does seem like I haven't flipped. I haven't been able to flip through it, but it does seem to feature a white family. Um, but it's more sort of explaining what is cancer, what kind of things are going to happen. Um, and uh, it's, it, uh like I said, a lot of a lot of people found it really helpful, so I just wanted to mention that if anyone had, um, as opposed to a child with uh, with cancer, if someone had someone in their life with cancer, um, that one seems like a good resource, and that was by uh, Alaric Lewis, uh, Alaric Lewis OSB.
1: And that I'm I'm pulling that up right now, and it looks like it might be part of a series called. I I agree with you that it's like a white presenting family, but they're called Elf Help books. Mm -hmm. So it's actually supposed to be a little family of elves.
0: Oh, they're They're elves.
2: elves. I mean, they're. They
1: they seem to be white elves. Which hello, let's let's get some diversity in the elf (laughs) community. But uh, some representation. But um, that's really cute. Elf help. That's really sweet.
0: it's so this is like a, a total i lied. this is a total tangent but we were uh, rebecca and i um last time we uh recorded we we're talking about um how i've been playing a lot of dungeons and dragons and how i consume a lot of like what i was saying earlier how i listen to a lot of like podcasts that are basically people just playing dungeons and dragons and you sort of just follow the story and um there's one particular podcast this is a funny shout out to do on this but um there's a podcast called dames and dragons and one of the things that i love about it is that not only is it like because you're thinking about this because you're talking about elves being white um not only is it you know diverse but i love that like people of color are in positions of power they're like kings they're princes you know they're like people um in positions of power and the main bad guy is a freaking white mm-hmm. man what did you like that that tracks don't like them that tracks Um, but that tracks yeah and and but i just that's something that i really pay attention to now like like we're talking about critically looking at media um i i really appreciate when and the main the one of the main characters is a goddess she communicates with sign Mm. language um yeah, and so it's Oh, re- It's really cool. Um, oh, I love yeah, that. and and I love seeing that kind of representation, uh, not only existing but in a in a clearly intentional way, putting marginalized people in positions right. of power. Um, and I I'm I'm excited to see more children's books uh, start to do stuff like that, as opposed to just throwing people in the background, which is a step, um, right, right. But it's a step in the right direction. But I you know I I love seeing. Uh, you know, it would be nice to see a main character with a hearing aid when it doesn't have to do with mm-hmm. their hearing. Totally, aids, you know, totally. Um.
2: Spirit fingers, <laughs>
0: <laughs> all the spirit fingers that no one can see. We're all doing it. All right. Well, I guess that's about it, it for this episode. Thank you guys so much, as always. Um, I'm excited to get my hands on some yeah, of these other books.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited uh, as well. Thank you for yeah. discussing uh, chronic illness and illness with us, Seth. It's always a pleasure.
0: Of course. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Thanks speaking speaking us. of illness, I hope everyone is staying. Uh, Safe and healthy. Or as I say in the babysitter's club. uh, Maybe wearing jammies. Happy,
1: safe, and healthy. Let's (laughs) stay happy, safe, and healthy, (laughs) folks.
0: Yes. But if you have other emotions, they're also valid. Totes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See you later. And remember, stay rad.